Bibles now, if you would please, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. And we are thankful for another opportunity that we have to open God's Word and to look at this sixth chapter, which is in the middle of a discourse of Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been studying this for the past several months, and so if you haven't been with us, we're talking about life in the kingdom of God. And this is a very important sermon that Jesus gave. Jesus was a master teacher, and he had a way of speaking to people where... Uh, he could just talk to the common man and he could really get down to the nitty-gritty of the problems that are in our lives. And then Jesus teaches how to solve those problems through the principles of God's Word. The most important information that you can ever receive in your entire life is how you can be right with God. How your soul can be saved from an eternity in hell. That's the most important information that you could ever have. And we're still old-fashioned enough here at Brian to believe the Bible word for word. We believe every word in the Scriptures. We don't try to substitute anything for it. We don't try to come up with a better philosophy for how men should live and how the world can be a better place. We just simply take God's Word and we receive the instructions from it. We stick to the truths that Jesus taught. And if what Jesus taught can fix you, and if he can make you right with God, then you'd best sit up and pay attention to what he has to say. You know, men have tried for centuries to figure out how they could make the world a better place. And you probably noticed lately that there's still wickedness in the world, and there's still crime, there's still hate, there's still war, there's still anxiety, and there's still selfishness. All of that is still here, despite the very best efforts of men to try to solve all of these problems. But the truth is that the world is never going to become a better place until sin is dealt with in the human heart. Until Jesus comes and rules in perfect righteousness, we are not going to live in harmony. There's not going to be any peace. Jesus must come into our hearts, first of all, to restore what was lost in the fall of man. And that's what's going to make the world a better place. When people come to know Christ as Savior... Now, this is really the theme of the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, how we are to live in God's kingdom. And the key verse is verse 20 of chapter 5. You've heard me repeat this over and over again. It says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says that you must have a righteousness that is better than the very best person who has ever lived. Now, this is an interesting statement that Jesus makes concerning the scribes and the Pharisees because they were the most religious people in the world. They were people of standards. They lived to a standard. And they claimed that they were living up to a very high moral standard. And they did claim that they were keeping God's law. But the truth is that they had departed from God's law. And the standard that they lived by was their own. And it was far too low for God. And so Jesus said, you have to be better than that. And he went on to show the people time after time how that their religious leaders had fallen far short of God's perfect standard. Now, this is what we've been talking about for months and months. And whether it is a a theological doctrinal standard or where it's the practical application of theology and their worship, all of it was wrong. And they kept coming up short. And so Jesus corrects that through this powerful teaching in this sermon. Now, we have arrived at another section of this sermon where Jesus hits on some issues in our everyday lives that tend to get in our way of service to God. 
Things that cause us to lose our focus on what God wants us to do and how he wants us to live. And we begin to emphasize the wrong things. Now, interestingly, Jesus is the master teacher, and he knows exactly where to start and which problems to attack. The number one problem that causes us to take our eyes off of God is really given to us in another scripture that goes along with this. The Apostle Paul said, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, Paul simply restated the principle in another way that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 6. The love of money is the root of all evil. Now, we're going to look and see how Jesus states the very same principle in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19. Now, if you'll stand with me again for the reading of God's Word, we want to look at this 19th verse down through verse number 24. Matthew chapter 6. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other, You cannot serve God and mammon. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word today, I pray that you would open up our hearts, help us to understand what uh, Jesus is saying, and may we have the right focus that we ought to have in our lives, keeping our eyes always upon you, and that being the most important thing in our lives. Bless in this message today, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The subject today is part number two of the message that I began last week, possessed by possessions. Now, the problem, as we look at it in the text today, is the, the wrong attitude about material goods. The root of the problem in this crowd that Jesus spoke to is that they had this erroneous teaching that wealth is an indicator of your spirituality. These people had been taught that those who had the greatest wealth had the greatest favor. That if you were a wealthy person, that that meant that you had been blessed by God. And those who had wealth then naturally would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And this helps you to understand how the people were horrified when one day that Jesus was talking about riches and he made this statement in the book of Luke. He said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. That was literally an astonishing statement to these people. What they had been taught before was now just turned upside down by what Jesus has to say. And so we see Jesus beginning in verse number 19 of our text saying, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. And then in verse number 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And those two statements represent the contrast in riches. Now, in last week's message, we looked at the key verse of this section, which will again underlie the message today, verse number 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
There are two places that you can accumulate treasure and where you decide to put that treasure, your heart is going to be fixed in that place. And so if you're constantly uh, pursuing your earthly gains, then you are pursuing a treasure that is upon the earth and that treasure can pass away. You can have a heavenly treasure and that's when you put your focus upon the kingdom of God and when you keep God first and keep God's work first in your life. Now, Jesus presents a contrast between the two. Uh, He contrasts the heart's pursuit in three ways in these verses. He speaks of treasure that can be taken away from you. He talks about the type of vision by which you see God and the world. And then the master that you choose to follow. And those three areas are summed up in what he's speaking here about treasure. The treasure that you choose to pursue. Now, the contrast in the treasure is that one of them is corruptible and the other is incorruptible. In the time of Jesus, the wealth of the people consisted in their gold and their silver. That would be the coins and their monetary things such as that. The second part of their treasure was the amount and expense of the garments that they wore. And then their third type of goods and the treasure that Jesus is speaking of here is the abundance of their crops, their harvest, their their goods and their grain. So Jesus says to them that your gold and your silver, it can be stolen. He said that moths can come in and they can eat your garments. And when he's speaking about the rust here, he's really talking about rodents, varmints that can come in and actually destroy your grain. So whatever wealth that you may accumulate upon the earth can be easily destroyed. But what you gain in heaven by faith in God and through the good works that God has given you to do, those things can never be taken away from you. Now, we've already talked about the first of the examples that uh, Jesus gave here about how we look at wealth. That first was the contrast between the corruptible and the incorruptible, contrasting two different types of riches and the place where you put your riches. And the second example that we're going to go in today, and the third also in just a moment, but the second one is the concern for the heart. Now, we find this in verses 22 and 23. Now, really, all of the examples that Jesus gives here are about the heart, but it's just presented to us in a little bit different way. So this time, the condition of the heart is represented by vision. Now, if you'll look, please, at verse number 22, it says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Now, here is the first principle that Jesus wants us to understand by this saying, and that is the stability of single vision. Now, the Bible often uses vision to illustrate our understanding. For example, in John chapter 3, Jesus said that unless a person is born of the Spirit of God, he said he cannot see the kingdom of God. Seeing represents understanding. And Jesus says unless a person has been enlightened, Unless he's been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, then he'll never be able to understand the things of God. Now, in 2 Corinthians, Paul used the very same type of analogy in a negative way. He said that Satan has blinded the eyes of people to the gospel of Christ. 
So he writes, but if our gospel be hid, it is him that are lost. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. And whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So Paul is representing spiritual understanding by vision. He says Satan has blinded the eyes of people who don't believe, lest they should see the light of the gospel of Christ. Now, light enters in through the eyes. And when the eyes are darkened, then that means that you have no spiritual understanding. The mind can't understand spiritual truths. Now, we notice here in our text that Jesus says, If your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. Now, there, singleness refers to the healthiness of the eye. If the, if the eye is healthy and your vision is clear, then the eye is able to focus as it should. And so a healthy eye here is emblematic of a spiritually healthy heart. And your heart is healthy when it's focused on uh, entirely upon God and when your vision is not distracted by the treasures of the world. Now Jesus is telling us here that the eye is like the lamp that lights the whole body. And if your eye is cloudy, then it never focuses correctly. Now an illustration of that would be a window. A dirty window does not allow all of the light to come in, and it doesn't allow the room to be lighted properly. Now, if you come to my house, I can show you an example of this. Uh, My wife is fussing at me and has been for months to get outside and clean the windows. Uh, My wife doesn't like anything to be dirty, and so in order to avoid her seeing the dirt that's on the windows, I just go through the house and close all the blinds. And so she comes in and she says, why don't you ever open up the blind so you can let the light in? And I don't because if I open the blind, she sees the dirt. And then that reminds her that I haven't cleaned the windows. Some of you men ever have that trouble at home? I mean, have you ever uh, kicked a little bit of dirt under the rug so your wife doesn't see it when you make a mess? I do that all the time. Well, that's the idea that Jesus is trying to get across. A dirty window does not let the right amount of light in. And so you can never focus properly if you're in a room that's dark. Now, the second thing that we see out of this is the instability of double vision. James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man is one who has his vision diversified. He never sees things uh, clearly, clearly in a spiritual way because he's always trying to focus on more than one thing. You know, sometimes when uh, my eyes get really tired when I've been studying and reading a lot, I take my glasses off and I rub my eyes really hard, and for just a few minutes, I see double. You would think that seeing double would be a good thing because then you can be doubly sure of what you're looking at. But it doesn't work that way, does it? I mean, if you tried driving down the highway with double vision, you'd be in trouble. I mean, how are you going to know which one of those cars coming towards you is the one that you need to avoid? You don't want double vision when you're driving. And that's because the focus is thrown off and you end up in bad trouble. And that's what Jesus says about a double-minded man. He's going to be unstable in all of his ways. Now, James makes another interesting statement in chapter 4. He says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Now, that is really getting to the heart of this matter. When you draw nigh to God, that means when you are focusing on God, and then God comes near to you. Now, it's not as if God was ever very far away. It's just that you couldn't see him. 
God's always been where he's always been. And when you have your focus on God, you realize that he's there, and God gives you that spiritual strength, and that causes you to be content with what you have because you know that God is always watching out for you. Now, in the context of what Jesus is speaking here, he's talking about hoarding up material possessions. And there are many people that do this and many Christians who do this. They think that we have to hold on to everything that we have because we've got to have that insurance policy. I mean, when, when later things are going to be bad, I'm going to have to do without. And so I need to hold on to what I have to be insured against the losses that might come later. But here Jesus is showing that when you have your proper focus upon God and you realize that God is the one who's in control, then you begin to release the abundance that God has given you and then you can use that in God's kingdom where it needs to be used. Have you ever noticed how unstable that Christians become when they lose the right focus? I mean, it, it shows up in many different areas of our lives. Uh, As a pastor, I watch this kind of thing happen all the time. I mean, there are Christians that have been saved for years, and you try to get a handle on the uh, productivity of their lives, and you try to to assess where they've grown spiritually. And oftentimes, I look at the people, some of you, and I see that you have no growth. Year after year, you stay the same. And it may not be that you've fallen out of church, but you're just content to sit in the pew week after week and you never really contribute to what's going on in God's work. You know, I think about this uh, with our church treasurer, John Bunn, and uh, uh, I wonder sometimes what he thinks when he goes through the tithe envelopes. He knows who the members of the church are, just like I do, but he knows something that I don't know. He knows who gives and who doesn't. Now, he's never going to say a word to me or anybody else about the amount that's given. But sometimes I wonder what's going through his mind when he has to pay the bills and he realizes there's not enough money there in the church budget, that we're falling short. Now, as a pastor, I'm evaluating things in a different way because I know this, that when a Christian will not help in church work and when that person is a member that I have to chase after and I'm always having to figure out what's wrong with them, I can always safely assume that something else has gotten into their vision. These are not people that are going to support the work of God. Now, they've got something other than God's work on their minds, and often it's their money. It's their work, it's their recreation, or the enjoyment of their money. And most of the time, those kind of people are not going to turn it loose to be used in God's kingdom. So personal service is an indication of what people feel about their wealth. Now, you see, that kind of person is seeing double. They just never reach good spiritual understanding. And so there's always a crisis that they can't figure out. There's always something eating at them when they come to church. They often end up in gossip and with many other spiritual problems. And that's because the vision is not right. Their understanding is off. Their vision is not single. And therefore, their hearts aren't pure. Isn't that what James said? He said, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Now, if you look at that in the book of James and look at the context of it, he's not speaking there to lost sinners. He's speaking to saved sinners. And if you take time to read chapter 4, you'll find out that he's speaking in the context of covetousness. That's what was going on in the church. There was strife in that church because they lusted for possessions and their sensual appetites. And maybe that could be wrong. What's wrong with your spiritual life? You're walking around with double vision, 
You can never focus long enough on one singular thing, and that is God's will for your life. That's because you've got your own lust, and you're always chasing after those things. A few weeks ago, we were having a, a guest speaker on a Wednesday night, and I found myself in the Sunday morning service begging church members to come on Wednesday night to hear this man preach. Now, Brother Dalton got up after me, and he said, well, how sad it is that the pastor has to beg church members to come to church. Why do I have to do that? You know, one of the things I almost always do after Sunday morning service, I go into the office, and I pick up the attendance slips, and I see what the count is for the day. Now, I know how many members that we have, and I'm not looking at the attendance slips because I want to brag to somebody or tell some other preacher, guess how many that we had in Sunday school. But I look at those attendance slips, and I begin to count who would be here, thinking about the membership, or what that count would be, I should say, if this person over here came to church as they should, or this person or that person came to church as they should, what would our count be? And often I, I look at that because I do understand that when people do not go to church, many times they're walking around with double vision. There's something that they treasure more than hearing God's word and fellowshipping with God's people. Now I know there's often legitimate excuses, but I also know that more often than not, excuses are just that. They are excuses. I I remember hearing a sermon once that a preacher preached entitled, Excuses the Skin of a Lie. You see, when you're double-minded, when you're seeing double, there's just no getting way around this, that you are not going to be useful in God's service. And I'm not saying this. This is what Jesus says. Now, you can argue with me, and you can say all you want. Well, preacher, you've got it wrong. I really do love God's work. I love God's people. I love church. And all I can do is just go back to Matthew 6, 21, and there's Jesus' assessment of the trouble, which is you've got something other on your mind. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When you don't have the proper focus, you're not going to be useful in God's service. You know, I remember the last words that Jim Love said to me before he moved away. He said, I've seen a lot of people come and go over this church, into this church over the years. And he said, the biggest problem is that you can't find Christians anymore that are faithful. Now, Jim was a very faithful member. Uh, he was here for every service. I mean, week after week and month after month, year after year, he was here. And he was here early. He was relentless with church attendance because he had that single vision, a very clear focus. But you know something else that he said? And this was uh, something that was a stinging indictment on church leadership. He never mentioned a name to me, so I don't know who he was talking about or if he had more than one person in mind. But he said, I've seen a lot of church deacons that you never knew if they were going to be here or not. Now, there was a man, I think, that was failed by church leadership. He was the same man that was here every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, collected the attendance slips in our Sunday school classes and pioneer clubs, and he knew who the faithful teachers were. He knew who would be here and who would walk out on their class on a whim. And you know my last words were to Jim? I thanked him for his years of service and for being faithful, and I said to him, Jim, I've always said that if you can't teach Christians to go to church... You can't teach them anything. Now, I'll tell you something else. Jim has been a Christian for a long, long time. 
But we have a man here who is a relatively new Christian. And this man was won to the Lord by Jim Love. And he knew Jim's example. On that same day that I was begging church members to come to church, this new Christian who comes every service walked out of the church and he said to me, what is wrong when people will not go to church? Now, he's not an old seasoned Christian. He's a relatively new convert and he's growing. And he has that straight down the line focus about what he's striving for. And he says, what's wrong? And I think that I can answer it according to Jesus. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When you have double vision and you have spiritual cataracts, your focus is going to be off. You can't see clearly. Now, you may be focusing on your bank accounts, on your house, your recreation, on education. It doesn't matter. Jesus is covering all the bases here. And sometimes, somewhere, I know that I'm going to have trouble with those kinds of Christians. And maybe I'll get them straightened out and maybe I won't. But someday I'm going to have trouble with them because James says a double-minded person, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And so there's only one thing that's truly predictable about them. And that is they're going to have spiritual trouble. They're, they're, they're not clearly seeing spiritual things. And if the focus is not single then your understanding is going to be way off. Now, let's go to the third example that Jesus gives. Now, Jesus has given us insight into this problem by looking at the physical handling of wealth and the vision of wealth. And now he moves on to another way of approaching this same problem of the heart's treasure. And next, he speaks about the choice of masters. In verse number 24, No man can serve two masters, For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, I want you to pay very close attention here because I think what Jesus is doing, he's increasing the intensity of his examples. And what he's saying now has a much more personal flavor to it. What did they call a teacher in Jesus' day? You know, often the... The Pharisees would mock Jesus by using this term. And they would say things like, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Another time there was a rich man who said, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may enter into eternal life? Another man said, Why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? Now here Jesus says, No man can serve two masters. Now, I think that he's getting very personal here. And Jesus may be asking you a very pointed question today. Who is going to be your master? Who are you going to follow? Now, let's notice two important implications of verse number 24. First is that you cannot divide love. Now, I'm going to make this very simple for you so you can get the drift very quickly of what I'm saying. Which of you husbands would bring a girlfriend home from work? And you would say to your wife, Honey, I'd like you to meet the other love of my life. You think that's going to fly? Is she going to say, Well, how nice to meet you. Please come in and make yourself at home. Not in my house. I mean, before my wife beat the stuffing out of my girlfriend, she'd take a shotgun to me. And she would say, You can't have two loves. I'm not going to permit that. And if you want two loves, then I'll send you both to a place where you can burn forever in love. You understand that, don't you? Reverse the scenario and let her bring a man home and see what you do. You can't love two women and she can't love two men. And the Jesus, Jesus says this is the same thing about money. You can't love him and love something else at the same time. 
Now, he speaks of mammon here, and that refers to money. It refers to any kind of possession, anything that you put in the place of God, something of value. And he says here, you can't have both of these. Now, let's go over to uh, Matthew 19. If you turn your Bibles there for just a moment. And if you know anything about the Bible, you knew that I would have to read this before we could get off the subject of money. And I want you to look in Matthew uh, chapter 19, verse number 16. Matthew nineteen sixteen, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, some people really get messed up about this story, and they think that Jesus is teaching that you can't be rich and go to heaven. Or he's teaching some system of good works where he says in order to go to heaven, you have to do things like help the poor. Or that he's teaching that what you need to do is make sure that you learn all of the Ten Commandments, keep all of the Ten Commandments, and then you'll be able to go to heaven. But Jesus is doing none of that. And what he's doing here is pointing out in a most vivid way that this man loved his possessions more than he loved God. And when Jesus told him to sell his possessions, he was hitting him right at the heart of the problem. He loved his riches, and he wasn't quite ready to give those up and to put all of his focus on God and his kingdom. And so he went away sorrowing, sorrowing because he wanted both of those. He wanted to divide his love for his riches with his love for God. But God was not going to have any of that. Now, the second implication that we find in what Jesus says in Matthew 6 is that you can't divide loyalty. You are either going to hold to one or to the other. You can't serve both. Now, we think about the immediate context of this and the thought of a slave that serves two masters. Those living in the Roman Empire at that time were in a situation where 50% of the people were in slavery. And so every, you know, every two people, one of two people that you saw walking down the street, one of them was a slave. And a slave was what? It was a piece of property. A slave has no rights. He has no opinions. He's owned by another. And he must be in full-time service to that one owner. He's property. He's nothing else. So they treated him as subhuman. He was not a person. He was a thing. And so he couldn't be owned by two masters at the same time. Paul used that very same analogy when he was speaking of when a person becomes a Christian. A, a, a person who becomes a Christian becomes a bond servant to Christ. And you can't serve the evil of sin and serve Christ at the same time. You can't divide your loyalties. And you should be able to see that very clearly because Christ is not going to let the devil own you at the same time that he owns you. So you can't serve sin and serve Christ. Jesus says that your possessions are like that. If you become possessed by your possessions, then you can't be possessed by Christ. God never accepts divided loyalties. That doesn't stop Christians from trying, does it? Martin Lloyd-Jones, 
uh, told the story of a farmer. He was a Christian man who was admittedly blessed by God. And he went out to his barn one night to discover that his pregnant cow had delivered two calves. And that was very unusual. And so uh, he knew that he'd been richly blessed. So he ran back into the house to tell his wife what had happened. And he said, God has really blessed us because he gave, gave us two calves. And he said, what I think that we ought to do is we ought to dedicate one of them to the Lord. And his wife said, well, great. Which one will it be? And the husband said, well, it doesn't really matter. Uh, We don't have to decide that right now. We'll just raise the calves, and then sometime later we'll decide to dedicate one to the Lord. And so time went on, and they fed the calves, and they took care of them. Later, the wife asked her husband again. She said, which one of those calves belongs to the Lord? And the husband said, we don't really have to decide that now. Both of them are nice and healthy, and so we can wait until sometime later to decide. Well, a few months later, the husband went out to the barn and he discovered that one of the calves had died. And so he went back into the house and he said to his wife, sadly, I really have some bad news. The Lord's calf died. You see, that is a problem. That's a problem with all of us. Our focus is on our stuff. And have you ever noticed this kind of thing, that when a bad economy starts eating away at savings and when times start to get tough, that it's always the Lord's calf that dies? When our offerings are going down, or, or when our, I should say when our offerings drop and, and are going down and, and people's lifestyles are still remaining the same, when that doesn't change very much, what does it tell you? It tells you that it's the Lord's calf that died and not theirs. Now, friends, Jesus is getting real personal with us. Who are you going to serve? Are you wholly dedicated to Christ? Are you trying to mix and match? It's not ever going to work with God because you can't love him like he wants to be loved and divide your loyalties between him and some other master. So you can't have your heart set on the world and serve Christ well. Now, you may be serving Christ to your satisfaction, but you can never serve him to God's satisfaction when you divide those loyalties. Now, it's time that Christians began to narrow their focus and they put an end to all of the double-mindedness. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so Jesus keeps going over and over this difference between man's standards and God's standards. And folks, I believe if you start measuring your service to God by God's standard, then you're going to realize some very important things. You're going to make some important discoveries in your life when you start to look at the way that God wants to be served and the way that you prefer to serve him. The scripture says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end thereof the ways are death. So we've got this thing figured out. I mean, we we figure out how that we think that we ought to serve God, and so we leave the services of the church or we leave our money at home. We don't give what God requires us to give. And we've got it all figured out that there's a better way to serve God. We can serve God in this way rather than in the way that God says that we are to serve him. That is not going to work. Our single vision must be upon the way that God says, I want to be served and the only way that I'm going to accept your service. You can't substitute anything else for it. So we need to decide which master are we going to serve. Are we going to give it all to God? Are we going to hold on to it for ourselves and keep that double vision that keeps us unstable in all of our ways? 
God does not want you to be an unstable person. He wants a single vision focused on him. And I promise you, when you do, God always takes care of his own. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we're able to look into your word and understand the great God who takes care of us. Lord, I pray that our people today would see through this message what Jesus is saying about where our focus ought to be all of the time. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to hearts today and convict us of our sin, of putting our, our, our ways and our methods, everything that we have in front of the way that you have told us that we are to serve you. Lord, change our hearts, change our minds, help us to have that single vision that we need to have. Lord, I do pray for anyone here today who doesn't know Christ as Savior. We can speak about these things and we can explain how a person's heart can be dedic- should be dedicated to God, where we should give our money, where should we give our service. But that means absolutely nothing to a person who does not know you as personal Savior. So I pray, Lord, that you would speak to someone today. Open up their heart to the gospel of Christ. Help them to see that Jesus died to save people from their sins and by putting their faith in him that they can have eternal life and Jesus is the only way that a person will ever be saved. Bless in this time that we sing, Lord, we just pray that decisions would be made, that men would be drawn closer to you, women and children drawn closer to you and Lord, they would make the right decisions in their life concerning your service. Bless in this time, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.